life-changing people, products, services, things that we count on every day, things that happen in those big buildings in your communities, in your neighborhoods, where all of the folks are employed and where big change is happening. How did they get there? How did that business get there? It wasn't just magic. Someone did it, an entrepreneur, a founder, a pioneer. You're about to meet one. Chris Chengelis joins us next on A Dash of Grit. This is A Dash of Grit. Recipes for success from courageous leaders who overcome challenges and build great things. Now, podcasting from Spire to leaders in local communities like yours, here is Brian Leflock. And let's get cooking. You know, we see these big companies, these successful businesses we drive by, and we know how big they are and how many people they employ, and we know how important they are to our communities and to our economies. But we rarely think about the people that went into the creation of that business. I know the real high profile ones, you know, we see those folks in the news, but 99% of the times we don't see the folks that are making these things happen and have built these big organizations. And I'm thrilled to talk to you today with. Uh, one of the founding uh, informative figures at Will Research, which is now Charles River Laboratories, the largest drug testing facility, and of course, a, a big part of the Ashland uh, economy here. Uh, it's a pivotal company in the area of pharmaceutical testing, biotechnical industries, and Chris Chengelis is our guest today on A Dash of Grit. Chris, thank you for joining us. I'm excited to share your story. Uh, thank you, Brian. And so, Chris, the, the show is about Love grit. talking with you. And, and I'm looking forward to talking with you, too. It, it's interesting. We've talked a little bit behind the scenes, and I've, I understand very little of what you do. However, I do understand uh, grit and growth and uh, taking something from nothing and turning it into something, very important something, uh, I understand very well. And I know that that's what you did. And, and that's what we want to talk about is that grit. First, if you could, can you share with me a little bit about the success when you left Will Research and the, the, the things that were happening that you were most proud of, what success meant to you for that facility? If you can let me know kind of what success meant for Will Research, I appreciate that. Success for Will Research at that time was making money. <laughs> well, yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, we, we, we were a service providing company. We provided services to the uh, pharmaceutical, biotechnical company and a, and a few other industries who needed uh, toxicological research uh, services. Uh, we provided uh, the, the, the data that was required for drugs to go into clinical trials. Mm -hmm. The success for me was looking at the number of completed projects that we did and then being able to point towards products on the market that we had been able to uh, work on. Mm -hmm. And that so had to that feel was, good. Uh, that was my def one of my definite, oh, it felt great. Uh, uh, I had an uncle that was take that had uh, Alzheimer's, and he was taking one of the products uh, that I, I worked on. I don't want to mention the product because I don't want to sound like I'm endorsing. Right. Yeah, we're not going to mention specific projects, and, and I know that's important. But but we're talking about life changing medicines and 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 uh, right, you know, world changing medicines. And in fact, right now, Charles River, which is the current owner of of, of kind of took over kind of where you were, they are the number mm -hmm. one. I mean, if a if a drug is going to get tested and put on the market, it's pretty much going through that. So that's a very successful organization. Yes, uh, correct, and the. My other criteria for success was the number of people that I helped along along the way. Yeah, I used to say that I'm not, I'm responsible for not only feeding my family, but the family of a lot of people who whose livelihood depended on Will Research at the time. 
So one of the reasons I I did come back to Ohio is I I felt uh, I could help build something here in my in my home state that would be a value, a long lasting value to the community and the state and also to the people who eventually would be taking the the products that we worked on. Yeah. And you have so done those that. Were, and I think along, along the lines, they have a retirement. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, after I announced my retirement, several people reached out to me to tell me incidences that uh, I had not thought too much about where we interacted and that meant something to them uh, in terms of how they planned their future career. Yeah. You know, so uh, that was also very satisfying. And, so and I was able to... I was able to do all that and provide for my family very nicely at the same time. And, and that's kind of what, what I want to talk about because that's what happens. These things happen and we look back and say, wow, look at, look at how great that is. And that, isn't that nice? And we take some of these things for granted. I'm interested, Chris, if you can take me back a little bit, uh, maybe to some of the formative years of Will Research or, or even uh, any time in between, but times when it was tough, times when you were trying to accomplish something, make that impact, make that difference in folks, and you just kept running up against hurdles, things that got in your way, whatever it might have been. I wonder if you can share some of those tougher stories that go behind the success that we mm-hmm. see when we drive by now. Well, you know, uh, Will, by the way, W-I-L stands for Welcome Independent Laboratories. And the laboratory got started in Cincinnati in the late 70s and was purchased by the Great Lakes Chemical Company uh, because of... Uh, uh, the Toxins and Substances Control Act that was uh, just passed uh, at that time. And the, they thought they could make some money if they actually did some testing. So they went out and bought themselves a laboratory. And then after a few years in Cincinnati, the president of Great Lakes Chemical told the management at WIL, uh, they were forced to change their name because Burroughs Welcome threatened to sue them if they didn't change oh. their name. <laughs> so they contacted it down to Will, W-I-L, and that's how it ended up being Will Research Laboratories. I guess oh. it was a bit redundant because the L in Will stands for laboratories. Right, right. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so the, uh, the, the manager at the time, the uh, director of the laboratory, was from Worcester. So he came up and looked around the area and found the old Hessen Clark research farm okay. over on the, uh, on the uh, Auton 250. I think everybody knows where that's at. Mm-hmm. And Hessen Clark had been sold a few years before that to Roan Planck. They sold the site to Richardson Vick. Richardson Vick tried to, uh, for a couple of months, run it as a CRO, but it wasn't working out for them. And they were looking to sell the site. That's how uh, we ended up up here. <laughs> Okay. They, uh, so the, the management at the time bought the site and eventually moved the entire operation up to uh, Ashland, starting in the early 80s. By about 1986, however, the, the, man, the company was in real trouble. Okay. What was happening? Yeah. yeah. Well, they weren't getting any work. Okay. Uh, essentially, you know. <laughs> That's yes. a common problem. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, it's... it's um, you just can't, uh, this is a service business, so you just don't make widgets and put them on the shelf and then lay people off. You've got to have people here ready to work. 
when uh, when the work shows up and if work doesn't show up and then you're you're paying people not to do anything so it's a kind of a vicious uh, cycle yeah so um they uh, uh so the great lakes chemical company got rid of the the management that has essentially brought the company here and uh put uh, a couple of their own people involved and then went out and recruited a uh a senior scientist to run the place. And they actually recruited two, Joe Holson and uh, Crosby Tompkins uh, to run the place. And that was starting in about 1986. And they were just uh, barely hanging on. They were very good in, uh, in uh, the area of uh, reprodu- developmental and reproductive toxicology. And they were able to get projects in through the door doing that, but it wasn't enough to really grow, grow the, uh, uh, the company. I was actually at that time placing work at Will Research from my position at uh, GD Searle in uh, Chicago. I was giving them some uh, some projects to do, so I got to uh, know the people out here fairly fairly well. And uh, to make a long story short, uh, in the late '90s, they decided they needed more general toxicological expertise, and they knew me. And so they reached out to me and wanted to know if I'd be interested in working at a CRO. Mm. At that time, it was unheard of to leave the pharmaceutical industry uh, to move to a contract research organization because they don't really do their own original science. They work on somebody else's projects and they do what they're told to do. But still, it attracted me because you still had to be good technically to do that job. You know, mm-hmm. and the uh, the job I was originally doing at uh, at Will was very similar to the job I was doing the bulk of my job at GD Searle, and it was called study directing. Uh, all toxicology projects under uh, uh, that are conducted and eventually submitted to the FDA have to be done under the auspices of a study director, who has sole responsibility. Uh, for the conduct of that study, making sure it's conducted right, preparing the final report, you know, it has ultimate uh, authority over that study. So while I started off being the Associate Director of Toxicology at uh, Will, that was my primary job, was running studies. And if I wasn't uh, the study director on studies, I, I was doing, uh, I was managing a small group, and then I was out getting business. When I started at the Will, we had no sales department. Uh-huh. We, the senior scientists, including myself, would go out and drum up business. And it became a very successful was the model. Person? The scientist yep. became the salesperson? And okay, yep. I'm interested in that. Yep. Uh, we discovered that the people we were talking to didn't actually like talking to salespeople. No, yeah. no, no. No insult intended. None taken. uh, (laughs) uh, At that time, the decisions uh, made to place toxicology work at a CRO were made by the toxicologists at the drug company or the chemical company or the uh, veterinary drug company or uh, food uh, company, whatever the company was. Yeah. They were all made by their own toxicologists. And uh, they preferred to talk scientist to scientist. So we developed at uh, Will and uh, what was called a study director-centric model. We had no salespeople, 
and the uh, sales, uh, we would go out and do our own sales calls, come back to the laboratory and either run the studies or somebody else would run the studies or, or, or whatever. Yeah. And uh, we were fairly successful in, uh, in, uh, in doing that. So when I started at uh, Will in uh, 1990, it was funny. I'd have clients that would come to visit uh, Will, get off the expressway and drive to us uh, over there on uh, George Road. Mm-hmm. So they wouldn't make it all the way into the city. And they'd say, gee, Chris, <laughs> you must be the largest employer in town. And I said, at that time, I don't even think we were in the top 10. Yeah. When I started there, we had uh, 85, 86 people, uh, uh, approximately. And in uh, my toxicology group, I started with uh, 12 technicians and one other uh, senior scientist in, in, in the group. And uh, I sat down and looked at my horizon. I had enough work maybe to keep us busy for uh, three months. And after that, I didn't know what was going to happen. And that three months came up, had some more work, you know. (laughs) Isn't that the way it works? Yeah. Yeah. So we... um, But it always wasn't just that easy. uh, It Uh it didn't just show up. Let's dig into that a little bit. Uh I think there's over 900 employees there now. It it is one of Vashlin's largest employees. Huge success. And and I'm wondering, you you were at the point where you were kind of, the pipeline wasn't full. You just work on a project, wait for the next one to come in. What kind of major challenges did you see? And I'm sure they were real in growing that company to what? Well, uh, number one, getting people to uh, just take us seriously. Mm. And so you had to go visit it, uh, visit people. And like I said, it was face to face with the other scientists. It wasn't, uh, we didn't have a salespeople, uh, sales group that would go out. And then the, uh, to get them to take you seriously, you had to show them that you knew what you were doing. You had to provide them with good service. Yeah. Essentially, you know, uh, a toxicology project is based on what is called a protocol. You and the client, have a long document that describes in in detail exactly what's going to happen, how many, uh, how long a study, what are the doses going to be, how many animals, how many dose groups, what are the endpoints? Mm-hmm. It's all that uh, all that detail. So you had to be able to present that and convince the uh, client that yours was the place to do the study. So it was a very person to person business. And was there something about the way you did it that was different than the alternative? I'm thinking to myself, the way this works is the the drug company, the person you're talking to, it has to be right. It can't be, they can't just go by price. They have to pick the company that's most able to do things. So how were you able to separate yourself from other companies and make an impact that way? Number one, we were very good scientifically. Yeah. Uh, we were very good scientifically when so they were being great at what you do us. is important. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when they came to talk to us, we could talk to them in great detail and show that we really understood toxicology. We understood how to uh, test their product. The protocol had to be clearly written and it had, to, you, it's a place where you really had to pay attention to, uh, uh, to grammar and good spelling and, and, mm-hmm. all those, and all those things. And then had to have a nice facility. And that was the biggest challenge is that we didn't have that nice of a facility oh. at that time. In the first couple of years, I, I, I worked there. As a matter of fact, how we had people coming back and giving us repeat business uh, with the facility that we had really boggled my mind looking back on it. Uh, so uh, huh. I had to um, really uh, do things to you know, make sure there wasn't 
too much water on the floor, for example. Oh, my and, gosh. Uh, that type of uh, thing to really try to get the place spruced up and uh, so that when people came, at least looked uh, uh, cleaned up. And, uh, did it ever and come actually, to a point where it, that wasn't good enough, like just to sweep up the floors and clean them? I mean, did you lose some business because of that? And there were there some specific you actions you had to take to get that you fixed? Don't, well, yeah, we built a new facility. <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, you never know for sure why people don't give you work. They don't always tell you honestly. Uh, right. More often than not, it was because they felt more comfortable with another place. It might have been the, uh, the facility. The other facilities may not have been all that much better than uh, than ours. You just don't know. But I, I, I knew that if you had a nice looking facility, that would certainly, uh, certainly help. So and Chris did, uh, when you got the new facility and you started to ramp up, I'm thinking there, there might've now been a time when it wasn't such a hard thing of getting the business. Maybe it was more, uh, hard to deliver. I mean, was there ever a time when you were growing too fast and that was causing some issues as well? Well, let's, uh, just back up a bit. We, uh, made our first addition to the facility in 1991. No, almost a year after I, I started, so we could do uh, uh, some more uh, some more work, and that worked out very nicely. We had that filled up with projects in uh, in about a year. Mm-hmm. So then we added on another wing that totally reflected that uh, that facility, and then the, the place really began to to look like like a nice uh, nice place. By that yeah. time, uh, a few years after that, I was up to maybe thirty people. In the, in the group. By the way, 1980 was uh, 1990 was the first year in, in years that we had actually turned a profit. Oh my! At, okay. At will uh, so profit um, is nice. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and then that that worked out nice, and it was about 1994, and, and then into 1995, we made a major addition okay. that really uh, brought the place. Uh, 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 doubled our capacity and really gave us some nice looking, well-controlled uh, space. And uh, that's the uh, the building now that has the majority of the work in it on, okay. on campus there. Okay. And, um, uh, and then we turned uh, all the old uh, laboratory space into office space in the building that's right off of uh, George Road. Okay. And that's when we really began to ramp up uh, and get people in. And to answer your question, at times um, we had to turn work away because we had more we had more requests than we could handle. And it's not the type of business where people are going to wait for six months. Um, it's a little bit like the hotel business. You don't build space just to have it sit empty. Right. You know, so if somebody shows up, you know, they, they take the next space. And if somebody shows up and uh, you don't have any space, you just have to tell them that, uh, I'm sorry, we can't handle it right now. Your next starting point for this project is someplace in the future. And if that mm-hmm. someplace in the future didn't meet their needs, then they would usually go someplace else as much as they might have liked working with us. Right. So, yeah. So, um and then uh, we continued to grow after that, and we had uh, several additions onto that building. And now we had, when I left, uh, it was over uh, 300,000 square feet of uh, laboratory space uh, mm. sitting back there off of uh, George Road. And that didn't include the, the, uh, the sites that we had purchased over, over the years uh, as well. 
so uh, we had maybe uh, uh, six, seven hundred people here at their at our zenith in the uh, late two thousands uh, when the uh, turn down in the economy uh, caught up with us. Okay, uh, which was another uh, another challenging time, but actually we were having trouble finding people to work there. To work there, that's a common yes. problem even today. It's 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 tough to find good qualified employees that allow the business yeah. to expand. Yeah, I mean, and because it also takes you hire a, a let's say a bachelor's degree with biology, it takes maybe six seven months before they're to get them trained up so that uh, they're. Uh, uh, they're fully productive. Mm-hmm. And um, we, uh, our thinking was at that time that we might not be able to recruit heavily enough in this area to sustain growth at that site. That was our thinking at the time. Whether or not it's worked out that way with Charles River or, or not, I, I don't know. I, what, um, I still I go in there. What kinds of things uh, did you do then to uh, address that issue? You thought it would be a problem. You knew you saw the issue. What kinds of things did you do to, to make sure you had enough workforce? Uh, well, we, we, uh, we uh, increased salaries. Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, put programs in place to reward people faster for experience and for doing good work. Yep. You know, and then, and then we, we tried not to work the bejesus uh, uh, out of them. Mm, so yeah. it was all, all those things. And I think a lot of those things, uh, from what I could tell Charles River picked up on and, and, uh, and kept them in place. They changed some of the the titles of some of the uh, positions but it's pretty much the same uh, uh, same work yeah. I still go in there by the way oh do you uh, yeah on behalf of my, my clients I get to go in there and uh, uh, it's been seven years and so most of the people that that are working there probably never heard of Chingelis. Yeah. but uh, it's very nice to see uh, the number of young people working there with very good professional uh, jobs. <laughs> And, and, you know, Chris, can I ask this question? And, and you know, the answer might be, yeah, uh-huh. Brian, that's it. Here, you are a very, uh-huh. I don't know if humble is the right word, but, but you're, a, you're a scientist who, who puts A and B together and gets C and away you go. And, and you've told me so far that you were at this company that was small. You, had, you became a salesperson, brought in your own work. You added facility space. You increased employees and voila, success. And I know that that's the, the formula. But uh-huh. was it, it had to have been harder than that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Um, <laughs> maybe not. Well, maybe you know, every, every, and maybe, it, yeah, <laughs> every, every job has its challenges. You know, one of our challenges was dealing with uh, Great Lakes uh, chemical and uh, they never really fully understood what to do with us. Other than the fact that they liked the uh, liked our profitability at one time, so dealing with them was uh, a bit of a chore. And who were they, and why was it a chore? What was the issue? Great Lakes Chemical. Uh, yeah. Well, they don't exist anymore. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> they at the at the time they were the largest uh, provider of fluorinated chemicals, brominated and fluorinated chemicals in the United States. They were the leading seller of methyl bromide. Okay. Uh, for example, they had purchased Will Research 
because they thought uh, that Tosca would require a lot more testing, and if they were going to have to do testing, they wanted to they wanted to get in on the uh, on the action gotcha. of, uh, of of chemical testing. Okay. Well, Tosca was never fully enforced because uh, soon after it was passed, uh, uh, Reagan came into office and he had a different view on enforcing Tosca, be that as it may. And uh, so a lot of testing from the chemical industry, never the commodities chemical testing never really came out. Pesticides and, and pharmaceuticals were our major products back in uh, our major clients back in the early uh, 90s. And uh, pesticide business has kind of uh, gone away because there's not a whole lot of new pesticides being developed. So right now, uh, Charles River uh, will research the site in Ashland is almost 100% pharmaceutical okay. uh, uh, business. And, and so and let's talk about that a little bit. That's where all are coming from. That's what I'm interested in now. As we start to wrap up here, I'm interested in in the future. And I know you're you're retired from from Will Research, and of course uh, you're able to go back into Charles Rebel. But you have Chengelis uh, Scientific Consulting Services, and you're doing work now. And and right now with, I mean everybody everyone knows about COVID, and no one knows what it is. And yet uh, there has to be so much work being done in testing and things of that sort. I, for you and for your consulting service, what what's the biggest challenges that we're facing moving forward? What are you facing moving forward? What are you trying to solve? Uh, what are the hurdles that you have to accomplish here for yourself here moving forward? Well, as a consultant, uh, I'm back doing my own sales work. I guess mm-hmm. you know I have to you have to get your own clients, and uh, I'm essentially. I really don't need the work. I just do the work because I enjoy the work. Sure. So for me, um, if I have enough just to keep myself busy, that's fine. So I don't spend a lot of time going out and uh, trying to recruit clients. Uh, Basically, uh, I've got a handful of people that just come to rely on me, and that's the people I take take care of. Yeah. And then the... uh, the interesting thing, actually, one of the interesting things about working at a CRO that if you're interested in toxicology, it's a great place to work because you see more different chemicals, more different drugs, more different routes of delivery, treatments for more diseases than you would ever have seen working at a uh, uh, at an individual pharmaceutical company. And it's the same thing with being a consultant. Uh, whatever uh, one of my clients. Whatever issue they have, if it requires toxicological expertise, I can help them solve it. And that's, uh, that's what I do. So if it's, uh, it's going into uh, Charles River to check up on how, how the work is going, I'll do that. Mm-hmm. If it's to uh, sit at home and do a, a broad literature search and write an opinion, I can do that. You know, so it's uh, uh, just a variety of different projects. Um, I've actually worked on environmental impact statements, which is something I'd never had to do before I was a consultant. Mm-hmm. So uh, it just, um, whatever somebody needs in terms of toxicological consulting, I'm there for them. <laughs> so that's okay. basically uh, what I do. And uh, if I don't have an active client, which doesn't happen very often, but it, it happens, oh, then I take care of my garden, play with the grandkids, <laughs> and, and, uh, and uh, life moves on. There now, uh, in terms of specifically, you asked me about COVID. Uh, right now, I don't have any projects specifically involving COVID. I'm just uh, keeping up with the literature uh, yeah. uh, 
like everybody else. And uh, I just want to tell everybody that this disease is the real deal. <laughs> it's an extremely serious and capricious disease. And by all means, take all the precautions that the government is asking you to take. Okay. <laughs> you know, yeah, from a scientist's point of view, don't uh, don't let other things get in the way. Do 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 what you're told, and do what you don't understand, and, and it'll come out better on the other side. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. Uh, yeah, what I'm trying to say is that if you need surgery, you want the best surgeon in the world available to you to do the surgery. Uh, you don't want a congressman. Right. <laughs> you don't want. You want the best healthcare professional in the, to address your issue. And that's the, the mentality we have to we have to take to this. Yeah, we have yeah. to listen to the experts. Yep. So, Chris, I, I am interested, though, also in the in the growth of of Will Research up into into uh, into Charles River and maybe different organizational structures and and ways that you were able to accomplish those things. Can you talk a little bit about transitions uh, for Will Research? About two thousand four, we were doing very well. And we got uh, through the interest of a group of investors who were interested in establishing what they called a, a first-in-class scientific services uh, firm. And uh, without going through all the details, we met with them. And then, um, uh, and this was also at the same time when Will Research was being shopped around by the Great Lakes Chemical Company. They decided that they wanted to divest themselves of will research for whatever reason. Okay. We actually did not want to go through the auction process, the that they you know with an investment banker you go out and get bids and all and all those things. We did not want to go through that process. And by we I mean it was Joe Holson, Mark Nemick, uh, Jim Rudar, Dan Sved and myself. We were the five senior managers. Okay. At, uh, at the site at that time, we actually were approached by this group of investors who brought us to the company called Berman Capital, a private equity firm out of uh, New York, who actually came out and uh, uh, there were about seven of them and there were about seven of us and they took us out for dinner down at the cabin it was yeah. for me it was it was very interesting because i'm always used to as taking clients out for dinner so this was uh, a this novelty time they were for, whining and dining and, you and, right and dining us and i like that yeah and we discovered we had a very nice uh, uh rapport with them to uh, make a long story short we went to great lakes chemical the five of us and told them okay we have this preemptive offer from berman capital uh for this company if you don't take it all five of us are going to walk Oh my! You know, so you either take this or we quit. They were being uh, advised at that time by Lehman Brothers. For all I know, it may have been the last thing Lehman Brothers did before they went into bankruptcy. Okay. <laughs> uh, back then, pick your partners but, carefully. <laughs> yeah, the lead investment banker from Lehman Brothers uh, that was advising Great Lakes Chemical at the time looked at the deal and told uh, Berman Brothers. They should take it. And if they didn't take it, uh, Lehman Brothers wasn't going to be responsible. Okay. So they essentially had no choice but to to take the deal. Yeah. So that, that's what happened. So we sold out. They sold us to uh, Berman Brothers in uh, 2004. And so what, what opportunities did that create? What challenges did that create, that new uh, transition? 
they wanted to use us as the platform company to build a larger scientific services uh, company. So right away, they had a vision for expansion that we weren't getting from Great Lakes Chemical. Okay. They also uh, uh, incentivized us by giving us a uh, percentage to the company. Okay. Uh, after, uh, after that. And does that change your structure? You you were a manager and you were a founding person and you were moving it forward. Now you're an owner. Does 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 that change the way you look at things? Does that change how you operate on a daily basis? Only in so far as now I had a lot more people, so it wasn't yeah. as personable. Mm-hmm. And uh, now we also had to prepare reports for uh, the the outside group of investors. And Berman Brothers was very nice to deal with. They would come in and visit us once a quarter three or four of them, they'd walk around, they'd talk to us, ask us if we're getting what we need. Are there any issues that uh, we, they need our help with? They were, they were an excellent, uh, uh, an excellent partner. And And Chris, I'm wondering if, if, is is it hard as a scientist to now become an owner? Because all I heard just there, that was interesting. Now we're doing reports and now we're, we're whining and dining. That's not what a scientist does. That's what a CEO does. Was that a tough transition for you? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> it was very interesting. I mean, okay. it was very interesting. I, I, I didn't do as many. You know, I was active at the bench, if I can use that term, up until about two thousand four, two thousand three. I continued to run projects and have my own clients because I, I continued to believe that uh, you, you, you have to know what your senior people are up against. Gotcha. So I, I would, uh, I would continue to run projects. Uh, up until then. So I would run fewer projects and then I would also spend more time now looking at new technology and how I might be able to expand our technology base and, and offer more services. I was doing mm. more, uh, more of that at the time. Mm. I guess uh, it just came naturally. Scientific leadership just came <laughs> naturally to me. So that's, uh, and it was a fascinating time because now we also got to spend time visiting other laboratories that were potential targets of acquisition and doing technological uh, evaluations and trying to determine how those companies fit with your companies and evaluating what we had and was the best way to go out and buy uh, expertise or try to grow it organically. You know, sometimes it's better just to go out and buy it so you have it. Yeah. And you don't have to worry about uh, uh, growing it. Uh, for example, I recognized uh, early on that uh, we had a weakness in, in, uh, in pathology. And that, uh, so we ended up buying a pathology company down in North Carolina. And that's uh, to become our, tox- our pathology group. And that's how we ended up with a facility in, uh, in North Carolina. Hmm. You know, the, the investor group that bought us wanted to be an international company. So that's how we ended up visiting a laboratory in the Netherlands and deciding to, uh, uh, to purchase them. So I got to go to the Netherlands for about five years, once a quarter to check up on them. And uh, that, was a, that was a lot of fun. And then yeah. seeing the uh, societal, what's the uh, cultural differences in the way they would run their company. Yeah. Uh, versus uh, the way we we would run our company was uh, was uh, very interesting. Also, that's and, what I was going to ask. Is there uh, when you were taking you know buying these companies, they have their own culture. Was it hard to bring them into the fold? Did you just allow them to continue to do what they were doing, or how did you keep the culture? Well, uh, for, if we didn't like the company culture, uh, we moved on. 
didn't buy if it. We did, yeah. If, if we didn't think it was a good fit, yep. uh, we moved on. We must have looked at, uh, uh, for example, I thought we were really weak in the uh, area of immunochemistry, uh, being able to do those types of assays. And so it was probably better for us to buy a company. And we must have looked at three or four of them before we bought the company that uh, we did, mm-hmm. which actually ended up uh, was at a, um, a research park in outside of Chicago at the site where I used to work before I came to Will. So it was kind of like my life went uh, <laughs> full circle when I had to go back and, and, uh, and uh, visit them. So that was, uh, that was a challenge. Uh, and that was interesting. And it was fun at the time. So we ended up buying four other companies uh, actually, three other companies under Berman, and then Berman got a preemptive offer themselves for Will Research, and they were fiduciarily respond. They had to take the deal. The offer was for five times more than they paid. Okay, for, for Will Research three years three years later, and wow. so so they wow. had to take the deal. I still keep in contact with a couple of the people there. Uh, that was in two thousand seven when they sold Will Research to American Capital Systems. I still keep in touch with uh, at least two of them uh, since 2007. And they can tell, they, they can tell me the day, the time, the date, the minute that they closed the deal. Oh, I bet. <laughs> yeah. I bet. That's five times growth and they just like that, oh, yeah. way they go. And then the first couple of years under American Capital, things were great. And then we had the turn down in the economy. Okay. And uh, up to that point, as far as American capital was concerned, we could do no wrong. Everything we did was great because we were making money. We were you know, uh, meeting our targets and, and uh, all that type of thing. And then the turn down in the economy came. And uh, with, with contract research, it's not in the same sink as the general economy because people just aren't going to pull their plug on their ongoing projects. Right. They have to follow it through. Yeah. yeah. So some of these projects can take six months to two years to run. So they're just not, they're going to follow it through. Mm-hmm. But what happens, you stop, the orders slow down coming in. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so, uh, well, we were still busy at the beginning of the, uh, the turn down in the economy. It was towards the middle of the turn down that we really got uh, uh, slow. It got slow. And what did you do uh, to change that around? When Well, uh, well, we, 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 tried to ramp up our sales process, but at the same time, uh, American Capital was convinced that they made the wrong move and that they didn't have the right uh, uh, the right people there. So we went from not being able to do anything right to uh, not being able to do anything wrong to not being able to do anything right. And I remember them uh, telling Mark uh, Nemec and I, insofar as they can tell, we've never failed to deliver technically uh, they just wanted to get people in that had more corporate sales experience uh-huh. to try to uh, turn this around. Uh, and then we had a uh, we had to we actually had to lay some people off. It was about maybe ten percent of our employees. How did uh, that make you I, feel back then? Not great. No, not great. Nobody nobody likes doing it. At least I didn't like doing it. But you can't pay people with unexistent money. I mean, the money. <laughs> Yep. comes from uh, performing services and uh, you're kind of stuck you know if you get rid of people and the and the work comes in then you won't have the right trained people to address the work 
So you, you do the best you can to hold on to people and find something meaningful, meaningful for them to do. Even if that's repainting the walls or (laughs) something, uh, something like that. And so what happened to allow uh, that to improve? Did your sales increase because you made them increase or did you just have to wait for the economy? That was when they finally went into the the the, uh, the the senior management that was brought in by ACAS was all about uh, a corporate sales force, mm-hmm. and that's when they they went away from the study director centric model and had independent salespeople, what they called the sales professional. So it was a different. The culture started changing, and yes. and. Uh, the language started changing, and I decided that, for example, you don't sell something; you increase demand for it. That type of sure. yeah, <laughs> that yeah. kind of that kind of language, you know. Yeah. You know, you don't assign tasks to people; you allocate resources to them. And so it was just a, a culture that I um, I was beginning to enjoy less and less, and. Uh, and uh, so eventually, uh, about 2013, I, I decided it was uh, time for me to move on while I was still able to, uh, uh, to mo- move on. Yes. And I was actually the last member of the original management team uh, to, to, leave, uh, to leave the company. Yeah, and, so you stuck it out all the way until, until the, the two, end. Very well 2013, done. yeah, I retired. I was uh, 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 63 years old uh, when I uh, left the company. Good for you. Well, you left and, your mark on it. That's for sure. Yeah. And uh, they were very nice. Uh, they gave me a very nice uh, send off and everything. So I have, uh, I don't want to say anything too negative uh, about the people. It was just that it was a different culture uh, for me. Yeah. And now the world is not for everyone. And you built a company that just, it, it becomes corporate just on the mere size of it and the amount of money and, and the, the responsibilities. And it just, you built this thing. And then unfortunately you kind of have to Almost like letting, allowing your kids to leave the house when they're old <laughs> yeah. enough, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. And at the end of the day, Brian, it's a business. You know, as much as I enjoyed it and as much as I, I think it, I helped build something that was of value for the, uh, uh, for the community, it was a business. It was just time to, to leave and let, the, let somebody else uh, yeah. move it along. Yeah. So there you go. And uh, things picked up. Uh, you know, the people that uh, were, were still there you know, responded to the challenge of uh, the new ownership and the new way of doing things. And then they were purchased by Charles River in, uh, in uh, 2015. So I think it's been about five years now. Yeah, five yeah. years. And, yeah. wow. uh, and Charles River now has something like uh, 1,100 people that work out of that, uh, uh, out of that site. A lot of them telecommute. I'm not sure what the percentage is, but I know there are people that report into that site, but work at work at home. Uh, so yeah, well, especially now. My, my last question, mm-hmm. Chris, before I, before we wrap up, and then is is you left what you were doing and joined a very small organization, and you sit there on your porch now, and and you you could almost throw a rock over to that place. And and I'm wondering if if I ran into you in an elevator and said, "What are you most proud of, Chris?" It has anything to do with uh, with that that building over there. What would you say it was? Uh, the people. You know, the people that uh, I worked with and the people that I, uh, I left behind uh, are still there. Um, the site director, or actually the site director over there now, 
started as a technician in my in my toxicology group. I just love talking with her, and uh, she she reminds me of the uh, the words of advice I, I gave her back uh, back then. So I'm I'm very proud of the fact that uh, I, I created an opportunity uh, for people, and that it's um, helped them uh, uh, attain. Uh, success and something of value for themselves and their families as well. And I've got several people over there I could talk about in that direction. Yeah, the buildings are nice, and uh, but it's always about the people because uh, you don't get good science from the buildings and uh, you don't get good service from the buildings. Uh, that might get people there. But at the end of the day, you have to have good people doing good science uh, for their clients. And I think the uh, people that I I left there and are there now are, are doing that. Very good. Chris, I'm wondering if, uh, if there's some folks now that, that like your approach to business and, and might even have some need to reach out to you and your consulting firm, Chingalis uh, Scientific Consulting, how might they reach out to you? Is there an easy way for them to contact you? Oh, I'm on LinkedIn. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and then if they want to reach out to me, they can uh, reach me at cchingalis mm-hmm. at cs 2 talks.com. Chingelis at cs2talks.com. Yeah, Chingelis Scientific Consulting Services, two C's, two S. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Very good. Leave it to a scientist to create some kind of a formula for the email. Well done. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Chris. The story is amazing. And I, and I, I really appreciate everything that you've done, not just for, not just for Ashland, but for, uh, but for yourself and your family and those people that you're talking about. And, and then I think maybe, I don't know that you think about this much, but for the rest of the world, that's relying on the products and services and, and things that, uh, that you folks are over there testing and making sure they're safe and, and those kinds of things. So, um, uh, thanks for all you've done. Yeah, I had a, a great career and at the same time, I helped a lot of people doing uh, both with the drugs they were receiving and with the careers that uh, I helped develop. Yep. So, yes, thank you. You got it. Chris, this has been great. Thank you very much for your time. I really do appreciate the conversation. <laughs> Love talking with you, Brian. You got Some it. Some other time. <laughs> you got it. You got it. Enjoy the day, sir. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. So, Chris, thank you very much for being a part of our show. We do appreciate it, and I thank you for joining us on A Dash of Grit. A Dash of Grit is brought to you from all of us here at Spire. We are here to help your business, your organization grow. We're here to serve leaders and managers and, and CEOs and, and folks that are trying to make a difference just like Chris and uh, has been able to do over his lifetime. And so if you are interested in learning more about Spire Advertising and the things that we offer, please reach out at spiread.com. Um, and if you're listening to this podcast and you click the uh, contact sales button, I'll answer and maybe I can help you. So I look forward to those conversations. Thank you again for being a part of Dash of Grit. Thank you to Chris Chingelis of Chingelis uh, Scientific Consulting Services and of course a pioneer for Will Research and Charles River Laboratories. This has been a Dash of Grit. It's a acquired taste in your recipe for success and we'll do it again next. This is a Dash of Grit. Recipes for success from courageous leaders who overcome challenges and build great things.